Hello and you're very welcome to this, the fourth edition of Path to Power. I'm Matt Cooper. And I'm Ivan Yates. And today we're going to be talking about immigration again and we're going to talk about public sector pay and the state of the national finances and tax arising from that. We'll talk about Jack Chambers, about planning density for housing and because Ivan has insisted upon it, sex semen. Yeah, bovine sex semen. Thank God for that. We'll get to that (laughs) later anyway. Okay, listen, I know immigration has been the dominant topic again in all the media coverage this week, and we will get to it because there's lots to talk about. But I'm also interested in things related to opinion polls that came out during the week. One that was conducted by Amorok for the Irish Daily Mail, another one that I saw published in the Business Post on Thursday, uh, which was done with the European elections in mind by a consultancy firm. I think it was Ireland Thinks who conducted it. The first one suggested that it wasn't immigration, which is the big talking point or voting intentions issue for the electorate. For 69%, it's the cost of living crisis. Now, the second poll did put immigration top of the list at something like 30% or whatever. Could it be we're giving too much time to immigration and that the real issue for the majority of people, because it impacts directly on their lives rather than being somewhere else, is the cost of living crisis. Well, that is a classic example of what gets on my goat for what passes as political journalism. You can tell that those journalists and those good people in America who asked, yeah, will you talk a, a tick a box here to say one of your biggest concerns is cost of living? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my heating bill is just in, uh, the, my mortgage has gone up, my childcare is expensive, food is expensive. Look, no one ever comes out of a polling booth and I voted because of the price of infant formula. Like The fact of the matter is, in politics, there are things, and Michael Noon's to be really good at this and insightful, switch issue would be abortion. I'm talking about over the last 30 years. Something, so you just don't get, like there's things that get people annoyed. The train doesn't run on time. Ryan Tuberty, anything you like. But it's not a voting issue. So you just, you just, what does it even mean, cost of living? So if you're a pensioner, it means I want extra fuel allowance. If you're working poor, it means probably family income supplement or maybe a a tax cut. If you're self-employed, it means something else. So there is no generic solution to cost living and rest assured that the previous generic universal solutions 200 euros on electricity well, is not going to, to be that. repeated okay, but for, well, sorry, for a public sector been, worker it's it paying it is being repeated there's, it's at 150 euros but it's not going to be announced months. in any future budget that's the end of it no and there's no more going to be added on before the next budget I may be not in the next budget but do you take my central so, yeah, point it's not a it's not a, a trigger voting issue. It's something that's a bugbear. People have, like if you said poverty, poverty is the number one issue. Nobody comes out of a polling booth and decides on poverty to pick one party over another. It's either a political philosophy or whatever. But the thing maybe is that there is a cohort who feel that they need more support from the current government. It's another thing that they can kick the government about, that they didn't give us enough support when prices went up, that they blame the government for for not you know, even for that, inflation is now moderating. Shrift is a heavy dose of flu people blame the government. Prices are still going up, but the prices of electricity and gas are coming down. But even when they're coming down, they're still 80% higher than they were before the crisis hit in 2022. So a lot of people are feeling an awful lot poorer and of because course, they're feeling like they blame the government no, for that. Sorry, and sorry. they think that an alternative government will do more for no, them. No, that was valid. 
in the years of austerity, where actually there's a decision, we've got to rectify the public finances by lowering living standards. These are external factors. Cost of living would be an issue in Florida, it'd be an issue in Japan, it'd be an issue whatever. I'm telling you, it's not a trigger voting issue. And and of course, of course people are upset about it, but the solution to it is different things. Look, the advice I give people, don't ring your local TD, which they're not going to, ring bonkers.ie and do something practical, for God's sake. Yeah, but hold on. Something else I want to ask you about. We made passing reference at the end of the last episode to the public sector pay talks, which you just broken down. And both of us were saying, yeah, sure, look, that'll get sorted out. It always does get sorted out. And Pascal Dunn, who I've interviewed him on The Last Word about this, and he wrote a piece for the Business Post last week. And one paragraph of it really jumped out at me. I'm going to read it to you. He said, since 2019, the public service pay bill has increased by five and a half billion euro to a total of 25.9 billion in 2023, an increase of 27.6%. This government will continue to invest in the public service workforce in 2024, with public service numbers expected to reach over 400,000, an 18.1% increase since 2019. Now, You could say the population has gone up dramatically. We're now at over 5.2 million people. We have more people at work in the private sector than ever before. We're about 2.3 million people working. The public sector is smaller than it used to be traditionally, but it still needs to grow. But at the same time, while understanding why an awful lot of the workers feel they need to be compensated for inflation with higher wages and the unions want more than the government has offered, All the pain that we went through in trying to reform the public service during the austerity years, has that just been given up by this government? Uh, Absolutely. And by any, I actually studied it since we last spoke. The 2.9 billion offer works out now for lower paid as 12%, but it's 8.5% over two years. Look, by any fair-minded person, it's a reasonable deal. And I think the unions should accept it, put a few bells and whistles on it. But the fact is, it is a generous deal. The politics of this is that the unions have, because of public services, have the government over. Look north, my friend. What's happening in Northern Ireland this week? 170,000 people on strike. Public services paralysed. Now, the fact, incidentally, they have no government, which is another story. But the point I'm making is this. In an election year, they will come up with some sticking plaster solution. The politics of this is they cannot afford the disruption. Or another thing is, once you get away from a consensual culture of we'll agree this behind closed doors to actually within Congress, wildcat strikes by individual, you know, be it nurses or whatever. Once the genie's out of the bottle, it's very hard to get it back in. And for that reason, they'll probably pony up. But if you ask me independently to arbitrate on it, I'd say Pascal is right. But every extra 1% will cost an estimated 250 million euro. And that's not just a one year, that's permanent because that becomes the base again. And in fact, it's quite interesting. 24 billion is what the pay bill will be. That's exactly what the receipts of corporate Corporation tax is. Corporation tax is not permanent, pay is. Yeah, but the other problem though is, and we'll come back to the corporation tax maybe in a second, but the other problem maybe is, is that for all of the expense involved in paying the existing public servants, we have gaps all over the place in key roles that need to be filled. Nurses is a very obvious example, junior doctors. Teachers. Teachers. Oh, incredible. 
Gardaí, I mean, this is one yeah. of the things that we're supposed to have 15,000 Gardaí since over a year ago. We're still a thousand short of the target. We seem to have more people retiring from the force than entering it. I mean, wouldn't the market economics suggest that we actually need to be paying particular types of public servants in key roles more than we're paying at present. And the truth is, those shortages are most acute in Dublin, where the cost of living is perhaps 40% higher None than the, the rest of... None of the ministers want to talk about yeah. a Dublin allowance. Yeah. I've, I've been having great fun in the last while. I've brought it up with Pascal Dunhu, with Stephen Donnelly, with Norma Foley in recent months, mm. and every one of them has run a mile from yeah. the idea well, of a Dublin yeah, allowance. Because well, once you start these things, it's very hard to stop it. But the reality is, the cost... You t- it's the same now. If you're a kitchen porter or do, changing the linen and all, hotel in Dublin, it's a lot more expensive to provide the staff there than it is in Killarney. That's the reality. And it's expensive for those people to live. Absolutely. And that's actually a very valid thing. And therefore the staff shortages of we're not able to get teachers in the classroom or whatever are even worse in Dublin than anywhere else. But I was doing a quick back of the envelope calculation on this as well. And that figure that I quoted from Pascal Dunne, who I think includes the cost of pensions annually as well, but it's bigger than our corporation tax intake. Yeah. The cost of the buy. And yet there is suggestions that a big chunk of that corporation tax intake is not guaranteed for oh, the future. Oh, no, no, not suggestion, so it's almost certain. Yeah, so we're locking in the additional costs Absolutely. of the public sector at the same time as we are going to lose some of the corporation look, tax. Do you remember Charlie McCreevy once said, when he was Minister of Finance, when I have it, I spend it. Yes. And that is the culture of every minister because they can't be responsible for the public finances in five years' time. They're only responsible now. And so therefore, this is why the Pavlovian response on every issue for the last three years has just pay them. But then I noticed as well, Leo Varadkar in Davos this week was talking about artificial intelligence, which got me thinking. Productivity in the public service, that's gone off the agenda. Yeah, how many jobs in the civil service in particular could actually be filled by doing artificial intelligence? Because throughout the professions, you're going to see lots of jobs in accountancy and law and various other things lost over the years. Will that that happen in the civil service? You take something like motor tax, all that could be replaced by AI. You know, where, where it's an annual renewal system. Now, there is no doubt uh, that, that, that AI, and particularly in the health sector, presents the best opportunity because you can have, instead of going to hospital, you can do it all digitally. By the way, with Leo in Davos and Michael McGrath was there and Pascal Donahue was there, should they have been in Davos? Sorry, or should they have been in the Doyle? Dealing dear, with motions put down by boy, Pierre Have Starty? I not learned touch anything? They're auditioning for their next job. They're more likely to get a job out of Davos. Do you see who Leo Varadkar co- was on a panel with? Nick Clegg, who's your perfect example. <laughs> exactly. Former British Deputy Look, Prime Minister who is now the main spokesman for Mark Zuckerberg yeah. and Meta. The national interest is, how does this suit you, Matt? So the fact is that, like, these guys are looking at the next big gig. What global organisation, WHO, UN, That's or maybe some global cynical. corporate... That's but, appallingly but cynical. I did it myself. I pivoted from politics into business. Yeah, I maybe mean, you were the exception. <laughs> no, Brian Hayes did the same. No, uh, Michael Darcy did the No, the truth of it is, you're All going Finnegale to... All people. Maybe well, Finnegale well, are the people well, without the ethics maybe of the more, Maybe the more talent. <laughs> but the point is that they're more employable. And Pascal is very employable out there. He'll be back Why? in Davos next year as the oh. managing director of the no, International I, I Monetary Fund. I do hate Fund. the preachy stuff from Davos, though. You know what I mean? Like, here are we... Uh, you know, the car won't start in the morning. The, the frost is... And here they're preaching to us how the world should be run. You know, they're, taking, they're taking their orders from the World Economic Forum. There's an independent TD who believes that and was caught on camera. Another last conspiracy theory. Yeah, another one from that particular one, which brings us to the issue of immigration. 
uh, which really has dominated again this week, becoming a bigger issue because of what actually happened down in Ross Cray as well. But what I'm really interested in was the sort of the Mayo County Council rebellion by all of the councillors from all parties who decided to instruct their executive, who, who are entitled to ignore what the councillors tell them, but not to deal with government until such time as they got a better deal from government in the way this has been handled. Can the government allow Mayor County Council and indeed potentially three or four others to, to act, behave in that way? Well, first of all, you kindly sent me an article that Leo wrote in the Sunday Independent uh, sort of in detail articulating the government's case for pro-migration and uh, immigration. And essentially, he's saying that there are fair rules and systems in place. And so my question to you, Matt, today is, does this hold water? So the bane of my life, right, whether I'm trying to get a wind farm to get up to 80% renewable electricity, whether it's housing, construction or whatever, everywhere I look, the dysfunction of planning. We even have a story out today. 1,100 social houses three years ago are still in the planning system. These, you know, we've 1,400, 14,000 homeless. So you take Vincent de Paul, you take Focus Ireland. If they build a hostel or a dormitory somewhere, they've got to go through three years of a planning process. How is it fair that in 2015, the government decided to have a 100% exemption for asylum seekers. This was in the context of Syrians coming here, right? My point is this. It is actually not fair that all other systems, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's housing, whether it's social need, is subject to this paralysis of a planning system. And yet, at one stroke of a pen, there. so if I have a building, be it a religious building, a hotel or whatever, I can just say, yeah, we're going to designate that for asylum seekers. How can you tell anyone that's democratic, it's fair, it's even legal? So therefore, that is the kind of thing that gets me. Second example I want to give you is this. A good friend of mine has actually made a living over the last 10 years out of something called the Immigration Investor Programme. Let me just tell you a little bit about this. This is a situation where mostly Chinese people apply for residency visas, not the passports for sales scheme. It has raised one and a quarter billion of funds for people. UCC, you know, and maybe a new library, a CAT scan for Beaumont, a facility, an operating theatre. You've been reading my book, Who Really Owns Ireland? There's a chapter devoted to all of that. I was actually going to wait till the end of the episode (laughs) to say, something's wrong with Matt, he hasn't mentioned his book (laughs) this week. I never got, you mentioned both the last word and the book in the first uh, five minutes. So, but the point I'm making is this. I thought this was really good. And Simon Harris is acting Minister for Justice in February of last year and as the scheme is over. Now, sorry, there is detailed vetting of the individuals who may be looking for escape clause from our new best friends in China. Uh, and the fact of the matter, you know, Chinese Prime Minister here and all the rest of it. But the fact is, in my view, it was money for old rope. On average, it was 500 grand they paid. One in four only ever exercised the option here. And so we scrapped that scheme And then we have all the messing around that we have in relation to unplanned, make it up as you go along, migration. How can that be sensible? Well, I'll tell you the thing that really sort of caught my eye with the the messing that's been going on in Ross Cray this week and with no truck for those who would be so cowardly as to harass women and children who have been coming from foreign countries and going into the Racket Hall Hotel. But I was struck by the idea that the government then suddenly came out and said, well, we're taking over another hotel, uh, Grants, inside in Ross Grey, and we'll turn it into a community hub. 
And I, I started thinking, well, why did they not just leave Racket Hall alone and go directly to Grants and take that over and use it? Uh, this community that, hotel thing is nonsense. Well, it, And then the other thing Absolute that really nonsense. struck me about all of that was, you know, this idea that there's special funding available will be made available for the towns that are taking the most people. That's fine again, but there's a history, I think, in this government of making funds available for things and nothing actually happening with the money, that the money sits in an yeah. account. So for all the talk that, yeah, well, you can have extra teachers, you can have extra guardy, you can actually have extra doctors, where are they all going to come from? You know, so you, you can, no, you can make, well, you make the all, announcement, there's a fund there, there's money there, and then nothing happens of it. A couple of points there. Apparently in some really... Uh, obscure place in Monaghan, some on some border area, there was this community hotel, which actually was a project that was there. This idea that there's a business model. Like, we had the Great Southern Hotel Group, we had the Ascard in Dunleary. The idea of the government owning hotels is just a bad idea. Why? Civil servants, because for the cost structure, all the things we spoke about in public sector pay, the flexibility you need in a workforce, seasonality, other things, and also, you know, don't presuppose that they have the commercial nous to do what hotel it's a very tough business, the hotel business. So, but like, riddle me this. I want to ask you a question. The biggest humanitarian crisis in the world at the moment is where? Gaza, I submit? It's one of the places. Okay, so in There Ga- are many around the world. Okay, no, you. they're in, in Gaza. There is absolutely, whether the fighting stops or not, there's 500, 590,000-600,000 people there. There are going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are homeless, imperiled and fit every criteria. How many do you think we should take in That's Ireland? That's the question I I'm going to ask you. <laughs> Where, what about 60,000 Palestinians to come to Dublin 6? I think you should ask Paul Murphy and Richard <laughs> Boyd Barrett that question. They're the politicians. No, no, you're are... inside the angels here. No, 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 all the high altar people with the altitude sickness. You know what I mean? Like, where, What is your answer to if, if the Palestinians want to come here? I don't have an answer, Ivan. I'm only a journalist who asks questions. <laughs> My point is this, that this, this, this idea that you can not take an a la carte approach to migration is a reality and is a hypocrisy that people who just talk about humanitarian principles aren't prepared to face up to. Whether it's Yemen, Sudan, there are people imperiled that meet the criteria and we cannot take them all. So what do we do is the question. But there are things that you you can put accommodation in place. We didn't. We knew that there was an issue that we constantly have international migrants seeking protection. We've been discussing this for the last decade and we haven't put the required facilities in place and we haven't sorted out the process. For our these own people. people as well. For 14,000, yeah, yes. Yeah, look, but the, we failed in that regard. So this crisis could have been anticipated. I know people say we couldn't have anticipated the scale that it's in. I've been very interesting. There was a, a report to the Public Accounts Committee this week as well about the Ukrainians who have come in were mainly women and children. But it's been very interesting. 17,000 of them have gone into full-time employment. Another 7,000 yeah. part-time and employment. And, and, actually, and they've, they've actually shown themselves to be crucial in the areas. In my in own home, Deirdre's got to a stage that she won't hoover the house top to bottom. We have Inna as a fantastic Ukrainian who is the most hard-working. And I always said that about the Polish people. They were the most hardest-working people, as you know they are. But a little birdie told me something interesting. In the real world i.e. the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party, I heard Leo, behind closed doors, got excoriated over his handling of the issue. And you know what? Don't be surprised if you see movement. 
a coup against no, Leo Varadkar no, no, on no, this? No, 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 sorry. Oh, Leo will change what, what his did approach. What I say at the, the Secret to Life? Ask the people what they want and give it to them. And uh, if that's what the backbenchers want, they will respond. Okay, with the with the local elections in mind, in absolutely. Like, no, no, you will see sorry, a more nuanced do? policy. But sorry, there is already. I mean, for, he said at that parliamentary party meeting, my understanding is that from the first of February, you will have the reduced welfare rates for Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's in. in place. Yeah, and the mean, ninety days, the ninety days, and the ninety days provision of housing and accommodation means it's going to be next to impossible for these people to find anywhere for themselves to rent, particularly as they're not going to be qualifying for housing assistance payment, the HAP. So that will act as an unofficial barrier, an Irish solution to an Irish problem. Give you one other question. What actually happens when it's decided through the courts or the INIS, the Natural Immigration Service in the Department of Justice, that someone should be deported? What actually happens? Oh, you know they, what I'm told? It's self-deportation. It is. Oh, no, that is quite clear. Uh, give and me that, a break, Matt. Well, no, that actually is a major, major flaw. I and mean, this is one of the things as well that's brought up that by a lot of shall we loosely say, right-wingers, but they bring up this thing, how can they be um, making their application for protection in Ireland when it's not the first place that they arrive at in the EU because there is no direct flights or shipping into Ireland? Well, the reason is, first of all, that's a misconception. You don't have to apply in the first country in the EU into which you actually arrive. So let's nail that. But the second problem is, is that so many, I think it may be as high as 75% of people make their original application not at the airport or port where they come in, but they make it at the asylum centres. The reason for that seems to be the open border mm. with Northern Ireland. Like I go through Ross Lair a lot and, yeah. you know, I could bring your whole family, about 16 children, uh, through the through the car and no one had noticed them in the back. <laughs> okay, you could give rise to all sorts of rumours there which isn't true, but anyway. Sorry, no, I meant your children with alien. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse. Right. Anyway, the point being that, yeah, I think... No, no, but sorry, no, sorry, if Leo's whole argument is this is rule-based and there's deep processes, if the ultimate thing of we actually don't think you should stay here is deportion and deport and, uh, and then they don't and, deport. Then, and then it's just self like what's that about that, yeah, that, 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 so that's a major weakness so, so therefore he'd be better to stick on humanitarian principles and browbeat people as far right and racist and so on because when it actually gets into the detail whether it's planning whether it's comparison with other migration investment schemes and so on actually his arguments don't stand up so does that mean then that Ireland is not full, as I keep saying. Even last week after I left here to go back to Marconi House, I passed things like Bagger Street Hospital, which despite been highlighted on many occasions, has still not been turned into an accommodation centre for refugees. I'm aware of... Bowles Bridge, here? Well, it's it's slightly different. Well, the demolition... The former Jury's Hotel. Yeah, the demolition work has started now in advance of the American embassy being built there, even though they don't have planning for that yet, but the demolition work has started. But that could have been used for the past year very easily and should have been used very much argue that. And I can think of other locations They're in Dublin as well. They're thinking of former public, not only religious order builders, but former empty public buildings, army They're barracks and so on. only thinking of it now. That yeah. should have been started but again, it's all 18 months ago. Uh, 18 months ago. That, and that's where it was. I mean, the government, I think, has gone for the easy option at times, facilitated by hoteliers who see it as being There's a lot short-term. of profiteering in this. Yeah, a lot of profiteering. But you wonder then, is there, from those hoteliers, are they actually thinking medium to long term? Because there are a lot of towns where their tourism infrastructure is being damaged. Well, in fairness, like Ross Cray has taken 500 Ukrainians before this ever kicked off. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like, there seems yeah, to be then, no then, credit for people yeah, but also, who've actually had a very humanitarian approach to it, but who have people foisted on them. Well, then. We are also moving from areas which have been complaining about depopulation, yeah. suddenly complaining when new populations come in. And actually, when the new populations come in, and although I'm sceptical as to whether the state will be able to provide immediately the additional guardee and the nurses and teachers and whatever, and doctors, if you have bigger uh, numbers living in locations, then doctors are more likely to go where the business is and dentists and whatever. So this can help with the repopulation of Ireland. Actually, and just, a, that. just as an aside on this, I know it is something that I think we should actually perhaps talk a little bit more about in this program or in this podcast because there are opportunities to sort of revitalise Ireland. I was talking, uh, it'll be on, it was on the last word again, in relation to Dexcom, which is opening in Nathan Rye, uh, which is going to be at least a thousand jobs uh, in making medical devices and making diabetes uh, products. And uh, the managing director was tell for Ireland was telling me why they located in Nathan Rye, in that just by the motorway, taking advantage mm-hmm. of the motorway, five minutes, half an hour from Galway, seven hundred and fifty thousand people living within a half an hour of the plant, access to Dublin Airport easily. You know, there's great potential around the country to sort of repopulate and not mm. have everything around Dublin. Yeah, but there's a and difference. Fergal O'Rourke, the new chair yeah, of the idea, yeah. was also saying to me that, you know, the perception is everything goes to Dublin, but 54% of IDA supported oh. jobs are outside of Dublin. I think maybe we also need to have a conversation about getting facilities back into the regions. No, sorry, balanced regional development. And as you know, there's a kind of five cities strategy which says big stuff has to go into Waterford and and Limerick and so on. There's a lot of great things happening in the region. But there's a difference between that and using the fact that there's recessionary vacant facilities because there's only tumbleweed blowing through Ballinrobe and Ross Cray as you're doing these people a favour is is actually kind of misrepresenting the position. But I wanted to talk about Jack Chambers. Funny enough, that's what I was just about to go to because, you know, I was very taken by the fact that there's been so little comment about this. I mean, the difference between... Jack Chambers coming out and Leo Varadkar coming out nearly a decade ago is really noticeable. Maybe it's a sign of how Ireland has matured and grown up that, I mean, who gives a flying fiddlers about whether Jack Chambers is gay or not? I mean, I'm even surprised he felt it necessary to issue a statement, which got me wondering a little bit was maybe he felt he needed to do it if he has ambitions to become Fianna Fáil leader, that he felt that he needed to do it. Um, But really, what really encouraged me was that Nobody really seemed to give a damn. Or could that actually be a problem for his Fianna Fáil leadership ambitions, that it didn't cause a big stir, that he's not perhaps charismatic enough that people care whether he's gay or not? Well, I I, I found it interesting, first of all, in fairness, Leo has probably blazed a trail in this regard and anything that comes subsequently is a little bit meh, you know, so what? Um, Jack James, very interesting guy. And and some years ago, before he was in the doll, uh, someone said, just keep an eye out for this guy because uh, Lennon was clearly ill at the time, Brian Lennon, and subsequently died and there was a by-election and so on. And um, he, he he's in that Dublin West constituency. He's 33. What someone said to me was extraordinary, and you'd know about this because I, I didn't even sit the leaving cert, let alone go to college. He did two degrees at the one time. He went, he went to TCD to do, uh, I don't know whether it was law or whatever it was, but he simultaneously went to the Royal College of Surgeons and did a medical degree. And that takes a little bit of doing in terms of there's something going on between his ears, which is not the case of most politicians in this country. So the, the fact of the matter is, I think, 
like Simon Harris, I'd pencil him down as a definite future leader. Imminently, I'm not so sure because they might not skip a generation. But he's Dublin, he's young, he's gay. And if, if, if he can get the right mentoring, I think he has all the abilities. So he's made chief whip. But interestingly, he's appoint, been appointed, which is really good. Selection conventions, how you get to know the director of the local elections for Fianna Fáil, which means that you're in, in touch with literally several hundred grassroots people who will have a say in the next leader okay, of the party. Could he be Michal Martin's anointed, as in Michal Martin sees him? Sorry, Michal Martin's anointed is Michal Martin. Sorry, yeah, but no, 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 <laughs> you're not, you're not being, you're not being enough. You're not thinking about succession. He, yes, he might be, because I'll tell you what. He's thinking about the presidency. Well, then that means there would be a vacancy in Fianna Fáil. But the point is that if he starts building up somebody of such relative use, he can be confident that it'll be many years before he actually is regarded well, as old a enough man, to only take a the position. would be that sleeveine and that cute to even let that thought cross their mind. Um, but what I'm trying to say is uh, that particular appointment, Director of Elections and Local Elections, is a dream job to shake hands and get to know people uh, that are going to be the future of the Fianna Fáil party. Speaking of Cork, what did you make of the Porky Keeve story? Sure, they're broke. Well, I'll tell you one of the first things uh, about Parky Creeve is that nobody calls it Parky Creeve. It's the park. You're playing down the park. Um, And I'm old enough to remember, well, I don't remember the athletic grounds that were there before, but I know that for many years people would still talk about the athletic grounds even when Parky Creeve was actually built. This was when you were built. in goal in the athletic grounds and let in I never, several goals. I never actually played in the... Is I it played, true that you're the worst goalkeeper <laughs> there was ever uh, togged out in Cork? <laughs> not at all. I'm not at all. Was that hurling or football? Even football. the big ball was a problem. Football. I've, I've played in Parky Creeve <laughs> as a goalkeeper indeed. So they have a debt of 30-something million. Yeah. They cost 87 million to develop it. Like, what is the issue here? The only issue is, did you get enough money for it? Whether it's 250 or 500 grand a year. Like, calling it super value like this happened with the Aviva and now like all the blue bloods and the blazers and all that like I'd, I'd actually call O'Connell Street McDonald Street if they pay me enough for it I mean the fact of the matter is why are people so precious about this kind of okay. nonsense even Wexford Park is called Elevate Park has been called different park Chadwick's Park it's called now what's so wrong about that? Well Anyway, give don't tell chance. me you're precious about this too. Don't tell me that there was some guy called O'Keeve that actually meant something to you. No, not at all. Although I do know one of his grandsons quite well who has told me about the family history, not the guy who's been out this week in relation to it. No, funnily enough, I'm actually, I still call uh, that insurance name station Lansdowne Road. Do you? Yeah, I oh, do. Right, right. And uh, I would also know Musgrave Park in Cork, which is nothing to do with the Musgraves who own Supervalue. It was named after a former IRFU president, but I would have played there so many times that I refused to call it Irish Independent Park when it was that, or Virgin Media Park as it is now, it'll always just be Musgrave Park to me because... I, no, in fact, I, it's for journalists mostly. I mean, like, but when I was in, in, in Swansea at that time, the stadium there, which is both for the Ospreys and the Swans, the, the soccer yeah. team, it was called Liberty. Is, and yeah. everyone just calls it, see at the Liberty. Yeah. Like, you get over yourself. But you haven't had heard me, my point of view on this yet. <laughs> what interested me on this, which I thought was actually, and a lot of people have spoken about this, was how Michal Martin got involved in relation to this. Michal Martin, whose son, Michal A, is yeah. the goalkeeper on the Cork senior football team. He came out against it, did he? 
Yeah, oh, did he come out against it? I mean, like, he came out as strongly. The things that Micheál Martin's got... See, that's dog whistle politics. Would you politics. let me talk? That's would you let me talk? Wh- when we, like, you'll talk about dog whistle politics when it comes to... That is actually Ivan, dog whistle politics. I'm trying to, to make a point. relics in the GAA clubs up and down the country. And they got they got to go to Sky and they've got to pay for yeah, GAA go. The whingers and the whole lot. He's just playing to the gallery there. Can I give you now, if you'll just give me a minute, the two things that have been very interesting about what has really got Michal Martin worked up over the last couple of years. First was the fact that GAA Go was showing so many cork hurling matches rather than being available free to wear. And the second is this issue. He said the government put 30 million quid into Parky Creeve and it didn't get the naming rights. Well, come on. The bigger issue here is, and this is government support for stadiums that are not actually required. And the GAA has made a big mistake over the years in building a big stadiums in nearly every county in the country where they have not been required. The biggest problem for Parky Cueve is other counties don't want to go there for neutral games. They don't even want to go there to play Cork in the Munster Championship matches or whatever. And when they go to Semple, isn't that right? Well, Semple is the thing. And they will go to Limerick or... So anyway, the problem is, and even when it comes to league games, if you open up Parky Cueve to a league match, it's a tiny number. It's hardly worth your while. You could usually lose money by doing so. So they got onto Parky Ring quite a bit instead of that. The future for Parky Cueve, funnily enough, is going to be in rugby and concerts. To clear that debt, we have... And does that fit with their kind of... uh, It's the reality. Sports celibacy rules uh, of the the foreign games. This has all changed. This changed. This broke down and changed when Croke Park was opened up to rugby and soccer at the time when Lansdowne Road was redeveloped. That was a major success. I get free tickets from my friend Peter McKenna for Ed Ed and Gareth Brooks and all those people. I love it, yeah. (laughs) Actually, the juice on the lamb uh, are really The point that I was trying to finish... I am your classic, as Roy Keane would say, (laughs) from Sandwich, yeah, yeah, prawn sandwich. Anyway, the, the point is, is that uh, Munster are playing the Crusaders, the New Zealand champions, in a big game the weekend of the Ireland-France Six Nations game. Ireland play France on the Friday night, Munster play the Crusaders. The ambition is, is that the Stevens Day game between Munster and Leinster will be played in Parky Cueve in 2024, uh, rather than Thoma Park. No. The Limerick Park. Not, not the Musgrave Park uh, place. No, no Thoman Park. Yeah, you know, I get that. Yeah, Musgrave yeah. Park is too small. Thoman yeah, Park okay. could take 26,000. They've already had the success of Munster playing South Africa in a sellout Parky Cueve. The best way to sell out Parky Cueve is a Munster rugby match, not okay. necessarily a Cork football game. Uh, you will have Bruce Springsteen, I think, there mm. this year, other concerts. It is a conference venue as well. Mm. It has to become a fully municipal s- stadium to pay off its debts. But the problem is a bigger one in that the GAA has allowed too many stadiums around the country to be built. And maybe other sports as well. Where we need is municipal stadiums. And I know there's a problem with the size. And Caseman Park dimensions. is another white elephant, isn't it? Well, Caseman Park has been redundant for the last 15 but years. But there's a plan now. to really Well, there's a plan, a but can you, this is getting the diehard Northern Ireland football supporters to go to this new ground that is going to be another story okay. in itself. Believe I'm me. sorry I asked about super value now. But you asked. On. You spent the whole time hectoring and lecturing me. I don't know what you thought you were what asking else, me. What else? Oh, yeah, something about, about housing density and less parking for yeah, people with big cars. Yeah, this was an interesting one. Yeah. This came up during the week. New, new guidelines that were brought out on Monday, which means that in many apartment blocks or new housing estates, that if you have public transport within 500 metres of your front door, that you have reduced access to car parking spaces. I think 
one and a half spaces per unit and yet lots of families have two cars or a necessity and they've been told, you don't need them, go use public transport, which is all well and good, but how often does the bus or the train actually run and does it bring you anywhere near where you want it to go to? You see, you're picking a symptom rather than the cause. The situation is here. Niall Cousins in the OPR after the Tribunal Planning Regulator Office said that Housing density had to be 35 units per hectare. Ergo, it has to be an apartment block. You know what? You can't sell the the first apartment until you've built the last one. Absolutely. Cash flow is a disaster. They had to introduce a Cree-Kona scheme or a lot of planning permission for apartments never happened. So the smart boys in the construction industry came up with new compact design regulations, which means they're like duplexes. You'd higher density that you've spoken about, cutting out some of the wastage and gardens and so on, but you'd have your own front door. And this is a brilliant solution. It is the future. So don't be whinging about the car. Just realise this is the way to get houses built that are affordable and viable. I'm not whinging about the car at all. It's completely irrelevant to me. But what is interesting is well, Stephen Garvey of Glenvey uh, did say to me oh, over a year ago, I have another podcast, you know, going called Magnified. I've, Just I've, get another yeah, yeah, plug okay, in yeah. on that. That's guest related. That's guest related. Yeah, and okay. at least it's very good. You don't have to give an opinion on that. Not you just ask questions. I just ask yeah, lots yeah. of questions. Anyway, but he was talking about reducing the size of the back garden. And it's interesting, the, the size of the back garden goes back to British rule. And the way they brought in that you actually, because the, the length of the back garden at around 60 feet, if memory serves me right, was brought in because that's where the outside toilet would be down at the back of the, the garden. Mm-hmm. Now the toilets then moved indoors. And what happened around Dublin, the reason lots of people have big extensions in their houses is because they had big back gardens that facilitated and then ended up with smaller back gardens. His view is that if you actually remove this belief that you need a 60-foot back garden and make it 40 feet or even 20 feet, you can get an awful lot more houses in. And then mm-hmm. you can have common green areas. But that's why people are, are, are surfing couches because they have the next generation in the same house and that's why they had to enlarge. I would say see, that's what... Do you what, see what, Trump what, is now on I know, no, don't mind. I want, I want to go to finish on the housing because... Home alone, yeah. I was interested as well this week in uh, Pierre Starty and Sinn Féin bringing this motion in relation to bulk buying by institutions and decrying the fact this is based on because of a scheme out in Belkamp where a German bank, Deutsche Bank, its subsidiary DWS bought about, was it 46 houses for about 21, 22 million quid, now renting out Stopping these, local people from yeah, buying them. renting out at over three grand a month, three mm. and four bed houses. The story's a little bit more complicated and complex than that because these houses were for sale to the private buyer for the last eight months and they didn't sell because they were just too expensive to sell. The institution has gone in. These were empty houses that were not being put to use. But the really interesting thing is, I mean, this perception has developed that people are not able to buy houses, not just in Dublin, so they're not but all around the country. The renting is like You're 210. The subject. No. Wait, no. wait, wait, wait. And wait till I finish, then come in, Ivan. <laughs> so the issue is, is that a lot of people feel that they're not able to buy houses because they've been outbid by the institutions. The reality is the institutions buy a small fraction of the housing estates all around the country. The state is the biggest buyer. Social housing. Social. So the state, either the councils, because the councils Mm -hmm. have utterly failed to do their own building, or the approved housing bodies, they see these all over the country, Clare, Meath, Kildare, all sorts of places. 
and they have housing estates, 40, 200 houses, and the state comes in and buys them up lock, stock and barrel. So when you hear about the institutions, these vultures coming in and stopping Irish people from buying their own properties, it happens, but it happens in a much smaller number than the state coming in and doing that. The fundamental problem, instead of building 33,000 houses a year, we need to build 60 units, 60,000 units, and look, that's going to be either like 210,000 units have left the rental market if you talk to Daft, Sherry Fitzgerald or anybody else. The fact of the matter is our planning system is still stopping the building of houses uh, and, and, and basically until like the biggest thing that's going to happen in February in this country is a new national planning framework, NPF, which is going to say, actually, we got all the population things wrong oh. and we're now going to have to change all the county yeah, development we, plans. We have to, but the ones that are in place are from 2022 to 2028. So are they going to be changed They're going to have to be amended. They're, they're going, going to have to. Because well, no, they're, but it's they're, they're, take another 18 months. It's absolutely. typical. It'll get taken 2028 to do so. Sonny, are you excited that your man Trump is on his way back to the White House? Well, put it like this. I mean, who's going to stop him? I'm told that if Nikki Haley makes any show, he'll uh, appoint her vice president. No. Uh, 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 no. So the the fact of the matter is that I know you're in denial, like a lot of people and a lot of sensible Sorry, people. What, what made you think I'm in denial? I that, said, that Trump I is said, probably going to get elected. Did yeah. you not hear what I said to you? I said, are you excited by the fact that your man Trump is likely to be the next president? Well, I, I put it like this. Uh, the second part of that agree. I'm, I'm neither n- neither Exira nor Delira uh, by the prospect. I can see his frailties as much as anyone else. But I actually think the prospect of President Trump, like if you go to the bookies, the betting today is who will be the next president next November, even money Trump, seven to four, two to one Biden. And, and after that's 12 to one. It's January. I mean, in okay. fairness, would you bet on who's going to be the next US president in January? Well, put it like this, it's a pretty kind of filtered scheme. Okay. Like, like, like oh, Michelle Obama was the only one I thought that had a decent chance of beating Trump and she didn't she get into no the frame. Interest. She's yeah, no yeah. interest. In but do you not think that Joe Biden's best chance is actually if Donald Trump is a Republican nominee? He needs to stay upright. That's his no, best no. chance well, if it, he falls again. Yeah, but if Joe Biden, let's assume, I mean, Don, Donald Trump isn't very good on slopes. Remember, he actually had to Absolutely. take Theresa May's hand to walk down a wheelchair ramp in the uh, back in 2017 in the White House. He apparently struggles on his feet on slopes. Anyway, leaving that I'm aside. I'm much more interested in the COVID cover-up. But when we get to this, hold on a second. <laughs> patience, Ivan, patience. Donald Trump will manage to provoke an awful lot of those who might not otherwise vote to come out. And while they may not like the idea of a geriatric like Joe Biden, they'll say it's better having him in charge than Donald Trump. The Republicans put somebody else instead of Trump up, and I suspect Biden's vote will erode even further. But at the moment, yeah, I think Joe Biden's in big trouble, and I can't believe the Democrats didn't have somebody better than him to actually offer as an alternative. What do you want? Are you going into conspiracy theories about COVID, are you? No, what I want to say is this, that I've actually been very impressed by seeing Boris under the barbecue, uh, seeing uh, all those ministers, uh, Sunak and so on. What we're now looking at, because it's starting to emerge, is not the COVID inquiry, but the COVID cover-up, whereby the great and the good say, oh, we can only look at how this might affect us in the future. What about... Oh, you were, reading, no, what, you were reading the piece I wrote, the I, Business I, I, Post, I, I, a couple of months ago. You sent it to me, I had to read it. The point about <laughs> it is this. Okay, Neffet, 
There was 39 people in Neffet. I'm sp- told by people there, it was like a Tower of Babel. It was an incoherent mess. Number and So th- that that Tony Holohan was a dictator in my view. Uh, How could it be an incoherent Tower of Babel mess if Tony Holohan was simultaneously a dictator? No, no, sorry. Sorry, that, that, that's what actually happened. Not 39 <laughs> people had a view, he had a view. But uh, things like antigen testing, which was, we were told by Philip Nolan was snake oil and actually became part of the official statistics at a fraction of the cost. The two-kilometre rule, let me tell you, so I moved to Wexford. I like, in a Sunday, to drive to Curraclough on my own and walk several ten kilometres or whatever. I was forbidden to do that by guard at checkpoints. I was told that I couldn't go to a pub. I'm taking taking out the world's smallest violin for you, your rifle. And was told then, oh, maybe I could go to a pub if I spend nine euro on a meal. Like, how farcical is that? We know of people who were discharged out of hospitals with COVID into nursing homes and deaths resulted in this. And we're now being told, oh, well, no, we don't want any blame game. Oh, we don't want to... Like, I'm saying that lockdown is a Chinese... You are aware of the Abulara judgment and you are aware of the restrictions that are and that it's very hard to say anything that would be regarded as blaming individuals and so the charging inquiry had no difficulty blaming people so i think over morris mccabe and so on basically what needs to happen is is you need a forward-looking inquiry which looks at how yeah, we sweep deal it all with under the it's carpet as best you can it's nothing to see here clever Move way of finding out because the people who are going to say the terms of reference have skin in this game because it's, they made these some deplorable decisions we should never have a lockdown again Lockdown is a Chinese order economy culture that's completely uncertain. If you don't go to the pub, that's fine. But don't stop me and tell me what to do with my life. We can have a forward-looking inquiry which can debate as to whether or not a lockdown will ever be suitable in the future. (laughs) Did I say that I believe that lockdown would be the right thing to do in the future? What I'm trying to say is this cost us 40 billion and we now see that some 60,000 people got the PUP, the pub payment, and they were working flat out. Like, go figure. Like, all these mistakes, all these mistakes are now going to be airbrushed from our memory. Is that a good thing? No. No, but I'm not suggesting that because I think I actually believe that you have a cleverly worded inquiry, which means we do investigate all of those things. But by putting it by the same civil servants who want to cover it up, not at all, not at all. Listen, we have to finish up, but there is one thing we have to finish. What's your obsession with sex semen? So, very simply, in 2015, the lifting of milk quotas, which has been there for 20 years. Uh, brought about a national effort and we now increased milk output by 40%, 16 billion we increased the herd enormously and carbon emissions with it. But this was a national economic effort which is really successful. There now is a huge opportunity because of an agricultural technology development which is to take not a stock bull but artificial uh, insemination. You see, you can't have a... uh, You go to Tesco and you get a carton of milk. You can't get milk without putting the cow in calf, Right. So the product is then that they have these bull calves by Holstein varieties and jerseys, which have to be exported as calves as a waste product. It's very cruel. So now the good people in Chagas have come up with a solution, which is everyone should use AI, the 16,000 dairy farmers. They should actually... And this is not artificial intelligence. This is artificial insemination. So 20%. So if I have 100 cows, 20% of my cows are replacements. So I would breed them to Holstein. I would breed them just to produce more milk. But the other 80%, oh, we're unfortunate we had a bull calf, becomes a waste product. The same time, the suckler cow, which is the raw material for the beef industry, is going down. So it's a win-win scenario. 
No, no calf exports, more added value right through to the carcass point of, of the animal. Uh, uh, basically, it, it will give a raw material for the beef industry. So I am making this my number one priority to inculcate people that dairy beef, which is called, the scheme is called, is absolutely the smartest thing that's ever happened in agriculture and needs to be adopted by everyone, including Leo. And me all, and all the people that you count out. It's a good job that anyway, we now know that cattle sex is what floats your boat. <laughs> no, it's, it's a gender. Gender, it's sex semen, and it's, it's, it's agricultural technology. It's smart. And that is where we're going to finish on today's Path to Power, episode four. There's lots of other things we could have got to. I think we're discovering now that the dog Only is one back. mention of the book, not too bad. <laughs> what book would that be again, Ivan? Can you, can you recommend it for me? You're going to have to go and read it instead of quoting it back to me that you heard from somebody else. Anyway, thank you for being with us, all of you. And we look forward to coming back and giving you another Path to Power next week. And by the way, if you've liked this, please recommend it to a friend. <laughs> 